I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Tai Seifu. We're back five days later because we did we were late last week, of course. And we are almost at round three. There is one more game seven left tomorrow, Carolina, New York. Uh, but I was actually, I was thinking like half an hour before we started recording, or a little more than half an hour. And I think this might be, so far, nearly at the end of round two, the most entertaining playoffs in recent memory. Because we had, you know, all those game sevens in round one. That was a hoot. Game two, especially late in the round, it's been hit after hit after hit. Crazy game after crazy game after crazy game. Most of that was in the, in the Western Conference. Uh, Calgary-Edmonton series, Colorado-St. Louis series. Not quite as much excitement and action in Carolina New York. But game four and game five, Calgary-Edmonton, uh, were great games. And game five and six, Colorado-St. Louis, were great games as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can see plain and clear what the formula is here. It's just more goals. More goals, more variance, higher numbers in terms of the goal totals. We love a good 5-4 game, not just because, you know, a goal is fun to watch. It makes for a great highlight. But also, just the lead changes. Lead changes are fucking awesome, right? Um, just the concept of them uh, and watching as the momentum kind of shifts from, from team to team. Uh, and it just feels like a roller coaster. And that's what makes these games so much more fun to watch. Other than fucking you watch a team score early and then they park the bus for 50 minutes and there's nothing that changes. And it feels like I'm wasting two and a half hours of my life. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's really, you know, I think we've seen goal scoring kind of tick up this year. And fortunately for us, it's persisted throughout the playoffs, despite, you know, the coaches' best efforts to have their teams kind of park the bus. They haven't been able to do it, whether it's, you know, bad goaltending or just, you know, Connor McDavid kicking, dragging a team on his own in terms of offensive production. Uh, it's just, yeah, more goals, and it's really those lead changes. Um, I think we saw, like, a lot of these blowout games, even in round one. Um, like, the series themselves were entertaining that they went back and forth, uh, and a lot of them went, went to seven. But a lot of those seven-game series, they had, you know, tons of games. There was, like, 5-1. Not as fun to watch, you know? It's really these... Mm -hmm. It's, it's you know, even the... For example, if we look at the Calgary-Edmonton series, it was a five-game series, but fucking everybody had a great fucking time watching every single game, basically, right? Um, Because these games yeah. go back and forth. And, yeah, I think this is what just makes makes it an entertaining product and what makes, you know, playoff hockey so fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Calgary-Edmonton. Let's start with that one. Uh, where the Oilers won in five, exactly opposite my prediction of Flames in five in which I said I believe the Flames will wipe the floor with them, and I turned out to be wrong. Uh, how could I have been so wrong? What, what went wrong for Calgary? Well, the answer is, is Markstrom, and that's that's the end of the answer. Um, he pulled a Tritanjari against the Islanders last year. He absolutely cost his entire team any chance of moving on by being bad the whole time. Calgary, you know, they, they managed to solve Jake Ottinger, who was, you know, playing out of his mind last round. And now they, they can't manage to get past uh, Mike Smith. And of course, the rest of the Oilers are better than the rest of the Stars. But Markstrom was somehow the worst goalie in this series end-to-end, -end, I think. Even though Mike Smith gave up a, a phantom goal from way on the other side of the ice and then raised his hands in the air like it was someone else's <laughs> fault. Even though that happened this series, in Game 4, the Oilers still won that game. And they still went on to win the series because Markstrom just was totally in the sewer yeah no that that let's i want to go back to that one mike smith goal that was a thing of beauty because this is not some meaningless goal um in any sense i mean this was <laughs> the oilers were up three nothing flames came back three two and he gives up the three three tying goal like midway through the third fucking period of a game four 
Um, and yeah, it was just truly an iconic, you know, trademark Mike Smith moment. And it is a fucking shame that the Oilers won that game. It is a real shame because I was go- I was looking for it as I was watching that game. As I saw that happen, I was looking for it to fucking ragging on the guy uh, for just how awful of a goal he is because it's so funny to watch. It really is. You know, that reaction is the cherry on top of the cake that you mentioned of him like fucking raising his arms like, well, why did nobody block that shot? Uh, that was 140 foot away um, kind of vibe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it, the fact that the, the Oilers won that game is a true travesty and, uh, you know, it's shame on the flames for doing that. But yeah, back to Markstrom in terms of the flames, uh, you know, the offensive production was not really the issue here. It really was the goaltending and it's kind of mystifying. Like it just, it seems like out of nowhere he became bad because this was not a problem. Like, uh, you know, like the Florida Panthers, they came out slow against the Capitals and they went up against a better team in the lightning and, and they got, they got shit kicked, but no. Like, Markstrom was great against the Stars, and then all of a sudden he shows up to against the Oilers, and uh, he looks terrible. He looks like a sieve. And I, you know what? I'm not exactly sure what it is. But the thing is, I think, possibly, it's just the, you know, the level of playmaking, perhaps, that we see from the top six of the Oilers. Because, you know, it's not like he was letting up any goals from that bottom six, right? That stat that I mentioned five days ago uh, stood for, like, the Oilers scored, like, ten more goals in the two, in the two games since. And the bottom six scored jack shit. Zero goals. That Pulley RV moved up to the top six, scored a couple points there. But uh, the bottom six in terms of ice time, nothing. Zero. Not a single fucking point. Incredible that they made it forward. But that just goes to the show, you know, the extent with which that top six is carrying. But back to Markstrom, my theory is maybe it's just, you know, they're too fast for him. And something that he didn't perhaps wasn't used to compared to what he saw in Dallas. I'm not sure because it really is mystifying. It was like one series, one series, two. It was like night and day. Yeah, one theory I saw floating around was like fatigue, which is the first thing anyone seems to say when a goalie starts to struggle in the playoffs. And maybe there's a little something to it because he has never played as many games in a, in a year as he did this year. He played 63. His previous high was 60. Back when he was with the Canucks, he played 60 games in back-to-back years. And he had a 9-12 in both years, which was, you know, uh, much less than the 922 we had this year, which was a career high. So, you know, across the board this year in the regular season, he had never played more than this, and he had never been better than this. And then it all kind of, you know, in the snap of a fingers, falls apart. Did he hit a wall? Maybe that's a little something, something to do with it. Maybe it's a mix of that and what you're saying about the Oilers, and more specifically, the Oilers' top guns really just kind of having his number. So I'd be interested, actually, in looking... Uh, to see what the season series was like between these teams. Because, you know, if the Oilers lit them up several times this season, then maybe there'd be a little more something to that, a little more meat on that bone. Yeah, perhaps. Um, it, it might just be a combination of things. Because, yeah, you know, going back on that, moving forward for the Flames uh, and perhaps managing that workload, you got to wonder, you know, why is he playing so many games? Um, it's not like they have an incompetent backup. Dan Vladar was was pretty good. It's fine. As a backup, I think it's, I'm looking here, his uh, save percentage was 906, so not ideal by any means, but he was serviceable. And so, you know, with, with Calgary, they had locked up that playoff spot pretty early. Um, I think one of the lessons they could take away moving forward, um, if fatigue really was an issue with Markstrom, and we see it with other goalies too, so I think definitely a contributing factor, uh, is to, uh, yeah, ease up. Because we've seen, you know, tandems uh, in recent years, they've been successful. And I think I attribute a lot of that success to these goalies aren't, you know, worn out by the end of the season. Um, and you know, another, another case study we might see if, uh, we'll see if Shesterkin can keep it up, 
with himself, you know, with a newly elevated workload. So I don't see on this page which goalie played in these specific games, but the Oilers beat the Flames 5-2 on October 16th, and then they beat them 5-3 on January 22nd. They lost 3-1 on March 7th, uh, and then they lost 9-5 on March 26th. So it does seem, in general, the Oilers tended to light up the Flames, even during the regular season, uh, when the Flames were a, uh, a very good defensive team. There we go. They scored five goals in, what, three to the four games? So, no, yeah. there you have it. So, that's... <laughs> and then they scored five goals in a whole bunch of games this series, right? So, yeah, maybe that's 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 part of it. It's just it's a matchup thing. They just really can't find a way to defend Connor McDavid properly. Uh, I mean, that would make sense. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, that would certainly be an explanation for why he was so good against the Stars. And, you know, I, I, does, I mean, is fatigue that much of a cliff? That much of a wall? Maybe. But I, it's like it's it was so drastic because he was so good against the Stars. That's the thing. Yeah. So now with with the Oilers in the conference finals, uh, for the first time since two thousand six, I imagine. Yeah. Um, there are two things about this team being in round three that are very unique. Besides the fact that you know, just in general, they're a unique team. First of all, I can't think of any goalie in recent memory who made it to round three, who's been as bad as Mike Smith has been. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, I can't think, I can't think of any player who's played, or I guess maybe not played so well, but any player who has produced so much offense while being so clearly extremely injured like Leon Dreisaitl is, because <laughs> he is so much slower than his normal self. And yet, he had like he matched McDavid's uh, point total. He had like seventeen points in in the five games against Calgary. An absolutely insane stretch. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, first on on Mike Smith, you say you've never seen a goalie as bad as him. All right, what do you think his save percentages has has been throughout these playoffs through twelve games? It's like nine twenty, isn't it? It's like 9, very good. Nine twenty seven. It's very good, and yet he's playing badly. C- can you argue with me? No, you can't. No, I can't. Not for a fucking second. Uh, can I say he's bad? Well, can I argue he's been elite? His numbers may indicate otherwise, but he still looks like a fucking fish out there, and he gave up that <laughs> horrendous does. goal. No, it's remarkable. I'm surprised every time I turn on an Oilers game just how discombobulated this guy looks. It looks like he's never been on skates in his life. <laughs> and yet here he is 927 I don't understand don't understand and he had a horrible start to the season too you know he finished the regular season at 915 it's just mystifying I don't understand he's maybe he's just he he you know throws a temper tantrum and the numbers correct themselves to to appease him because I, I see no other explanation for this yeah we should talk about that last game of the series though um there was that frenzy of goals near the end of the second period where it went from like, it went from what, two to one to four, four in the matter of like a couple minutes. Um, and then of course, in the third period, there was that famous disallowed goal that went off Blake Coleman's skate. And the general consensus seems to be terrible call, botched call. Calgary should have had that one and they should have won the game. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Uh, going back to that, you know, flurry of goals was like four goals, like two minutes. Or whatever it is, that's what I. That part of what I was saying at the top of the episode, right? Uh, it's you know, lead changes, both teams scoring goals, bad goaltending, makes for great hockey, makes for great watching. Everybody was losing their shit. 
everybody's losing their shit while we were watching that. Yeah. So it's 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 just wonderful. It's the, it's the best time. Um. So you know, let's just make the nets bigger or something. Uh. To to increase this fun. Uh. And <laughs> so yeah, to the uh to the kick goal, uh or kick non goal I should say. Uh. Yeah. It pr- seems like a pretty big botch here in this key moment. I mean, there are obviously arguments like, oh yeah, he did kick it, and you know he knew what he was doing sticking his leg out like that. But at the same time, uh, as a league, you did set a precedent throughout the entire fucking season, right? Of, it's a pretty high bar to clear. It needs to be pretty dang distinct in order to be, you know, waved off and like overturned in review because they called that as a goal on the ice. Uh, so, you know, for the, for the fucking review center, it's one thing for refs to screw up a call. It's bad enough like that. But, you know, it's in the moment. Yes, they're professionals, but it's, it's fast. Sure, you miss a call here or there. I understand more or less. But for a review team, they you know they have all the angles. Slow it down to whatever frame speed you want. Sitting in a nice comfy chair out in Toronto. How do you botch it? How do you not maintain a level of consistency? Uh, I don't understand. That I think is unforgivable for a league to go out and see, you know, see that kind of inconsistency in the replay booth in particular. Because it just feels like there's no integrity whatsoever. Yeah, um, and what I really think with this, uh, first of all, the puck would have gone in anyway if Blake Coleman didn't hit it with his skate. It was it was definitely going that way, and honestly, watching it, you could even make the argument that he was like, kind of maybe even trying to like get out of the way of the puck. Maybe uh-huh. maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but I think I think there's something there to that, and mainly. There's no kick. He redirected it, which is, you know, everyone's always making the distinction between like, oh, kicking and redirecting. You are allowed to redirect the puck into the net with your skate. You are allowed to turn your skate in such a way so that you deliberately make the puck go off of it and into the net. And what Blake Coleman did there appeared to be like a clear-cut case of that. So, uh, yeah, this is... The NHL checked zero boxes with this one. Um, Terrible call. Calgary fans should be infuriated, which they were. And I think what you were saying about like slowing slowing it down, having all the angles or whatever, I think that might have worked against the NHL in this one. Because I feel like when you're trying to judge intent, like slow, slowing it down tends to not help. Slowing it down tends to give you a warped perception of reality because, you know, whatever your intent was, the player's intent was, um, you know, they were seeing it in fast motion, not slow motion. So it's impossible to know. Fair enough. I think that's that's an astute observation. I just, yeah, it, it's warped sense of reality is correct. It seems like they lost their minds. <laughs> it was like everybody who was watching was like, "That's probably a goal, right?" There's no way they overturned this shit. Um, yes, he kicked it in, but it, it wasn't like a kick kick. He, he redirected it using his foot and redirect perhaps is generous uh, given the trajectory of the puck before and after. You know, just a little bump, and that's allowed. And not only that, he was also, like, you know, falling and everything. It was, like, taken down by the defenseman. So there's a whole host of factors. Like, he's falling down, man. And, and I understand, you know, you can be aware of your movements, but still, wasn't a distinct kicking motion. And, you know, the, the example everybody's talking about is, you know, what was it that, that Chris Tierney goal earlier this season where it was, like, way more of a kick. <laughs> um, where he straight up moved his foot uh, and that was called the goal. They reviewed it. And so, you know, if you set that kind of precedent, but that's not the only incident, right? Uh, it just makes it all the more absurd. So, and that, you know, that and that, that was the moment that eliminated, eliminated the Flames. Um, obviously, you know, they're down three to two at that point uh, in the series if they win that game. 
And so they still got to win two more. But, you know, you don't know. We think the Flames team uh, as a whole are better than the Oilers. And winning two games in a row certainly isn't out of the realm of possibility. So I I would, uh, I understand the outrage. I, I sympathize with Flames fans for this one because uh, not the way you want to get eliminated. I sympathize, but on the other hand, too bad. Score another goal on Mike <laughs> Smith and win the game, Fair right? Enough. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, right. you say that's the moment yeah. that eliminated the Flames. The thing is, though, if they were better, it wouldn't have been. If they were like, you know, avalanche level or, you know, back-to-back Stanley Cup lightning level, one of those teams could have gone, all right, let's get another one then. And then they would have. Uh, so too bad for Calgary, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, this great team they had that was rolling all year, arguably playing above their heads from top to bottom, uh, is no more. They come up short. And next year, they might not even have Johnny Gaudreau back because he is a UFA. And he is probably the top UFA on the market. I don't know if any... Well, there are some that are, you know, run the same level, I guess. Kadri, Malkin, whatever. I'm sure there are some other big names. But Johnny Gaudreau was second in points in the entire league this year and he's probably about to hit the open market so this is a big deal we rarely get a player of this caliber coming off this good of a season a hundred and something point season uh be a ufa and the team that had been in the rumor mill like last summer like oh where's johnny gaudreau gonna go there were two there was philadelphia and there was new jersey Johnny Gaudreau doesn't care about winning, then go right ahead. Going out to either one of those shitty teams on the East Coast near where you grew up. Um, if he does, though, you know, also at that point, we were talking about like, oh, are people like unhappy in the Calgary locker room or whatever? They don't like each other. Seems like that's faded away with, you know, winning the division and making it to round two, having a great season, all this stuff. Maybe it's more enticing for him to stay. What do you think the number looks like, whether he stays or goes? Oof. Man, uh, so, I mean, he's not, this This is like prime UFA, right? Not only the caliber of player, but he's 28 years old. And so, we know, he's squarely in his prime. He's got maybe, you know, you could get four years of production um, before, you know, we perhaps see the the cliff kind of hit of age. Um, man, like, what are some comparables that we could see? You would have to think, I mean, n- Team, that's the problem is finding a team with a cap space, but if you could find it open market, you could get what nine million dollars. Oh, I think you gotta go higher than that. Yeah, you just had 115 points. 115 points. There. Um, you're kidding me. He's gonna he's gonna be asking probably for like you know something in the John Tavares range, the Artemi Panarin range, like 11, 11 plus marquee UFA type thing. Yeah, but the, the the problem is, well, if you if you're if you're really gonna go with that amount of money, you're probably going to Philly or New Jersey, right? I mean, what contending team kind of has Calgary has the space? It's yeah, they it's, do. Either you go, it's either you go back to Calgary, um, and you know they do some manipulation trying to get him and Kachuk uh, under new deals. I think they have like twenty six million to work with so far, and they've got a whole bunch of guys they need to resign to. Well, not a whole bunch, but a, but a good handful. And the fact that they have the, they, they have the, the fringes of their yeah. roster, pretty much. You know, yeah. the other UFAs are like bottom pairing guys in the bottom six. Right, but then you know, like, how much is Kachuk going to cost? You have to you have to sign him too, right? So he's oh, an RFA yeah, granted. True. But you know, th- those two, if you want to get them both back, that's what twenty million dollars, and that's could be about okay. that. Yeah, could be about that. So you know, it's it's tricky. Imagine Panny too. 
And right. Shillington are both RFAs. Yikes. Ooh, Shillington. That's, that's a big one. So, you know, $26 million to sign all four guys. I don't think it's possible uh, given their given their abilities this year. So it's tough. Like if you're looking for $11 million, I think I don't know if you can find it with a winning team, to be totally frank, because all the contending teams, they already have their core set and they have that kind of cap space already allocated. Uh, so, you know, be the, be the guy in Philly or New Jersey, get your bank. For, for eight years or for seven years. Um, or otherwise, I think you have to take a cut, probably stay in Calgary too, because even at maybe $9 million, um, not many teams can kind of fit that. I think Gaudreau is going to end up staying in Calgary. I think he's going to get about a 10.5 to 11 type AAV over six or seven years or so. Maybe eight. Maybe they'll give him the max eight. And I think to make it work, they will trade Sean Monahan and his. for only one more year after this cap hit underachieving injured and uh yeah just you know they were they didn't miss a beat when he was out of the lineup Lindholm Backlund were the top two centers and things were you know rolling absolutely fine and if not that if they can't find a taker I think Manjapani has to be the odd one out um this just seems like a sell high candidate he scored 35 goals this year and he's never going to do it again. We had a crazy shooting percentage for the first half of the season. He was, like, scoring every single game. Uh, you sell high. Honestly, maybe even if you weren't in a cap crunch, it would be smart to sell high on him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you saw, he kind of regressed to the mean at the back half of the season. He was just playing out of his mind, shooting out of his mind uh, to start the year. And, you know, as you would know as his fantasy owner, he really cooled down down the stretch. So, you know, you could, yeah, as an RFA, did. you could... You can absolutely get it, you know, if you can, this is the time. You're right. This is not happening again. He's not going to shoot, you know, 25% for fucking three months ever in his career again. So, I mean, he's a nice depth piece for sure. But, you know, if you can find a trade partner, for sure. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it looks like that Sean Monaghan contract, if you can get rid of it, that's the solution, isn't it? He was the fourth line guy <laughs> by, the, by the end of the year, right? Before he got injured. So, you mm-hmm. know, for some reason, he just kind of fell off the map. $6.3 million. You need that money at this point. You know, you could attach a sweetener, but maybe there's a team who's willing to take a risk on him for, for just without one year. Yeah. Um, Gaudreau will be a fun one to watch, though, in the offseason. Uh, and I feel like, you know, you look, you talk about, you know, all the teams that don't have room for him. He's the type of player that I feel like a lot of teams will try to be moving heaven and earth to make room for. Um, sort of like, you know, we, we see it, you know, all the time. The Stamco sweepstakes that were about to happen in 2016, Tavares, Panarin, teams were trading players in the days leading up to free agency on the off chance they were going to be able to get these players, and a lot of them didn't. You know, uh, Islanders thought they were going to keep Tavares, didn't, ended up spending all their money on Filpula and Leo Komarov. <laughs> Detroit, 2016, thought they were going to get Stamkos or hoped they would. They ended up signing Franz Nielsen to that, you know, $5.5 million AAV contract instead. So I think Gaudreau is very easily the caliber of player where we might see, I don't know, someone like Carolina or Pittsburgh or the Canucks or the Blues try to, you know, trade their dead weight or even not, maybe not even their dead weight, maybe just their more expensive players and really go push, put up, push all their chips into the middle of the table for uh, the Johnny Gaudreau sweepstakes. Yeah, man. If that happens, uh, that'll be that'll be really fun to watch. I think you know, free agency is fun always, but uh, yeah, you got a caliber of player like him, not often. 
you know, somebody coming off a 100-point season. Uh, just like we talked about last week with Malkin. Uh, you don't see that happen often. Well, this guy's 28, and uh, with the production he has, it'll be fun. It'll be fun, especially with, you know, the, the, the cap, the whole cap thing, as artificial as it is, does add a, a degree of nuance and complexity to everything that, uh, you know, makes it makes it fun to watch. Ideally, we'd have like 30 teams bidding for him. Um, but, you know, we can watch them kind of manipulate around, shuffle shit around to get under 82 and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, you know, one benefit to the cap is that, you know, these teams have to get creative. And a lot of times it ends up with these like LTIR, LTIR loopholes that like no one loves that much. Um, but you know, at least, you know, there's some, you know, little, there's nuance there, as you say, whereas, you know, if you had no cap, then uh, all of a sudden every player is, uh, you know, hitting the open market and like every single other team wants them. And there's also the, you know, there's a lot of fun about like, as a fan, if there's no cap and a player is overpaid, you're like, who cares? And now, like, the first thing when a player is signed is like, look at the cap it. What's the cap it? What's the term? Is this a shitty deal? And oftentimes it is. And that's another fun thing to, to discuss and have some banter about. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to care if a billionaire owner has to pay a guy $5 million uh, if there's no other implication other than he's paying a worker $5 million, right? You don't give mm-hmm. a shit. You don't feel bad. Uh, but if it means you can't sign, you know, your key superstar down the road uh, or some shit down, like, you know, Makes you care that much more, so makes it that much more interesting. Um, so yeah, that's the uh, that's the Calgary Flames. Certainly, inter- like, you know that it's yeah. They, I mean, we look at the Flames of last year and we see the jump that they made. Um, gonna, it seems like it's going to win Daryl Sutter, uh, Jack Adams. Um, but you know, it's it's really can you sustain it, become a year over year, you know, Stanley Cup contender because that's what you need to do to eventually win the cup is what we've seen. You need that track record of success. Uh, so it's really up to Brad for living to, you know, leverage the success into, you know, a more, you know, long-term kind of deal uh, to maintain that contender status. Because it seems like overnight, we're like, right, like dunking on the flames every fucking week. Maybe not every week, but whenever we did talk about them, we just dunked on them uh, up until this season. So yeah, it, it really is, you know, it's, you can't make it a one hit wonder if you want to win a cup. I don't think this sustains for Calgary, or at least not at this level. They might make the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to win the division again next year. I just see you know, too many things went right. You know, the top line was you know, clicking like crazy. Um, Markstrom was, you know, Vesna finalist caliber. No injuries, pra- practically no man games lost all year except Sean Monaghan in the second half. Uh, I don't see things going this well again. Last time, you know, they were this good. They won the Western Conference in the regular season in 2019. And then things fizzled out right away the next two years. Bounced back this year. And I, I'm i getting the same type of energy. I don't think I don't think this sustains. Yeah, I think, well, I, you keep it as it is. I find it hard to believe, too. I, I agree. Um, it's just, the division is relatively weak, though. You know, barring, you know, LA really kind of putting it together with their prospects. Uh, there's that little gap until maybe two, three years from now where I think LA is going to make that jump um, where, you know, there's space to move and, and that kind of division crown is up for grabs, especially given how poorly Vegas looked this year. Uh, but, you know, do I see something four or five years down the road? Is it that sustainable to the point where I see, you know, maybe not dynastic, but like, you know, a really good team for four or five years in a row, kind of like the Sharks did uh, back in the 2010s. Um, not really. I find them, you know, hard to... Like, when the Kings do eventually come up, I think they'll be miles ahead of the Flames. Because, yeah, I think 
mm-hmm. everything did go right. And we, you've, you've mentioned that, you know, they haven't been injured this year. And I've talked about, well, I don't think that's going to impact them for the playoffs. But moving forward in future seasons, do they, you know, continue this 100 and whatever 10 point kind of pace? Uh, no, you're not going to, you're going to lose guys to injuries. Uh, and that's going to start next year. Yep. Um, as long as the Kings can get a goalie. Yes. We should put that caveat there. True. Because that is so far they have none. <laughs> it's got the um, yeah. yeah. Let's move on to the other series. Because this is a fun one too. Uh, Colorado, St. Louis. Colorado, I feel like we all thought they had it in the bag in game five. Nathan McKinnon scored that goal on the end-to-end rush to put Colorado up by one. We were like, that's it. You know, that's the uh, that's the narrative. Colorado, things were, things were looking dicey. Nathan McKinnon said, come on, everyone. We're going around three, and he did it himself. Um, but then that narrative was shot when St. Louis tied the game and won in overtime. And I, I think I said to you, like, uh, maybe they are just round two chokers. But then in game six, thanks to the hero, Darren Helm, <laughs> of all people, Darren Helm of all people, I was like, you know, I saw that goal, and I was like, wait, was that Darren Helm? First of all, why was Darren Helm on the ice in the last 30 seconds of a tied game in the playoffs? But, you know, I guess it works for Jared Bednar. Um, You know, for being the first player I thought of every time I was like, well, I guess after Jack Johnson, for being the second player I thought of every time I thought of some weird moves Joe Sackick's made on the fringes of his lineup, uh, he really did come through at the end. Jack Johnson did not. He almost blew it for them. Um. That was that was game six also, wasn't it? Yeah, it Where was. he just totally blew a tire at the offensive line, and St. Louis <laughs> uh, scored a goal off that. And the second worst player on the team, Darren Helm, was like, "I, I, um, I, I can do it. I'm not as bad as Jack Johnson. I'm not even close." Yeah, look, I th- it's funny. I think the overwhelming reaction to Darren Helm, at least what I saw um, after Darren Helm scored that goal to win them the series was that Darren Helm is still in the league. Really? I had no clue. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that's all you need to know about the fella. Uh, But yeah, Jack Johnson really just, what just piece of cake. Um, Just a beautiful piece of art. Um, Because, you know, we've talked about heading into the series. If Jack Johnson has to come into the lineup in any circumstance, you're boned. He will screw you over with, you know, a myriad of mistakes that lead to goals. And uh, yeah, I mean, we saw Sam Girard get injured and he stepped in and that was brutal. <laughs> it was, that's the thing. It was such a stupid fucking giveaway, uh, you know, blowing a tire. He, there, were, there was no pressure on him up, you know, guarding the blue line with a puck. And he just decided to go on a little, you know, walk and give it up uh, to lead, you know, going the other way, give the Blues a lead. Um, so, you know, classic. But yeah, after that game five, it really, it really did, uh, you know, raise some eyebrows. A bit of anxiety within that fan base um, where it was like, oh, shit. Because uh, once M- uh, McKinnon scored that goal to go up 4-3, it, they celebrated like they were going to the third round, right? Like those demons were exercised. And, you know, the arena was celebrating like it too. Everybody was fucking, they were going nuts. Um, <laughs> and then to see them, you know, have it, get it tied and then lose the game to fucking Tyler Bozak out here. Uh, it seemed to really, I, I mean, you would, one would think be super demoralizing. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think the talent went out. They were just a better team, flat out. Uh, you know, Huso was fine, especially in game six. He thought he looked great. Um, but, you know, like it was just the talent up and down the ice. You look at who scored in game six. You know, like you look at fucking JT Confer scoring a couple, right? So it's, you know, there's talent in the bottom six as well. And eventually, uh, that, that's what won them. That's what won them the series. 
One thing I forget about Jack Johnson is like, besides just being like really bad, he's also old. He's 35 now. Do you remember that? He's the oldest player on the Avalanche. <laughs> he's like, really? He's older he's than a Darren week old. He's like, oh, wait, I'm checking exactly. He's uh, eight days older than Darren Helm. Wow. Birthday buddies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jack Johnson, January 13th, 1987, and Darren Helm, uh, the 21st. But um, yeah, this is also the first playoff series Jack Johnson has ever won. And he made the worst play of the last game in it. <laughs> Very poetic. Classic. Um, oh my god. You couldn't uh, skip also, this like, shit. You yep. couldn't. <laughs> and I just don't understand what Jared Bednar possibly sees in this guy that so many other coaches have seen as well. When Ryan Murray is sitting in the press box alongside Curtis McDermott, who's bad too, but not this bad. And, you know, you got guys in the minors too. Jacob McDonald, Dennis Gilbert, Jordan Gross, Roland McEwen, Keaton Middleton. Give one of them a chance before you play Jack Johnson and almost screw yourselves over. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I've never heard of Ronald McEwen, to be frank with you. Roland, s- not Ronald. There we go. That's all. That's There we go. That, that's case in point. I have never heard of Roland McEwen. And- Did I say Ronald? Wait, was it Roland or Ronald? I can't tell anymore. Which one was it? It is Roland. Roland. It is Roland. Okay, I, I said Roland the second time. Um, indeed. Uh, but yeah, you know, I have full faith. I'll take your word for it, and <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind because you know, thirty-five-year-old Jack Johnson. What is he doing? How did he make it in this league this long? That's baffling. He's actively bad. It's not even like this was an exception. He does this shit all the time. Where he like gives up the puck, does some dumb fucking shit, leads to a goal. Coaches hate that shit. That's the one thing that they hate the most. You blew a tire, you handed them a goal on a silver platter, and yet he keeps staying in the league. I don't understand. I don't understand. Um, so you know, yeah, some sort of blackmail on them. Shout out, good for him, <laughs> Ross the Pirate. I remember back in like 2014 or whatever, like PK Subban blew a tire near the end of the game, and Colorado came back and scored and won. And, like, there were articles about, like, how mad Michelle Terrier was for, like, the next week and a half. And Jack Johnson does something like this. And it's like, oh, that's just Jack being Jack or whatever. I feel like at least, you know, in our circles, it's like, oh, yeah, there's dumb old Jack Johnson blowing it again. But I, I can't possibly know what goes on through the mind of a coach who decides to keep him in the lineup after that. Which, to be fair, we don't know if he is keeping him in the lineup after that beyond into round three. Um, but my guess is yes. Because he's he's done this type of thing in the past, and it never seems to affect his standing. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, right? Like, if if performance was linked to his presence on the ice, this guy would have been <laughs> out of the league six years ago, okay? Like, it's just, I don't know. Do the, do the coaches hold him in some sort of reverence? Like, do they admire the, just the sheer size and age of this guy? I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> the but- size is even that big? <laughs> I, I mean, that's his thing, right? Like, one. It's okay. normal size. Ah, okay. Well, you know, I don't know. What else do they, do they, you know, admire the alliteration in his name? That's all I can think of. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, they, what? What? He does the one thing that people hate, you know, like, man, we rag on coaches. Like, they don't prioritize offensive production. They're, you know, they talk about systems and whatnot. This guy sucks in both ends of the ice. He sucks ass. He brings nothing. And he regularly <laughs> does this shit. And he still has an NHL roster spot in the playoffs, and he's going to the third round, perhaps with some ice time. Not understandable. Don't understand for a minute. Only you and I could find a way to turn 
Colorado moved on to round three for the first time in who knows how long <laughs> into a Jack Johnson sucks discussion. Um, but uh, one other thing, I do want to talk about Darren Helm for one second because I don't remember if I've told the story before on this podcast. Um, I think I've at least told, told you this at one point, though. When I Back when I played hockey for a few years when I was younger, uh, it was in 2013, I was chatting with one of my teammates about like the playoffs and Anaheim was playing Detroit in the first round that year and Detroit was the underdog they were the seventh seed and I was like I think Detroit's gonna win they have a good team and my teammate was like oh yeah yeah you know they could they got Datsuk they got Zetterberg they got Darren Helm <laughs> I was like I was like Darren Helm Darren Helm's not that good and he was like Helm's good man Helm's good <laughs> so I just wanted to shout out my teammate for knowing uh, the Darren Helm was, in fact, good all along. There we go. Beautiful. Um, so, there we go. There you have it. Lovely story. And Darren Helm's good, man. Helm's good, man, uh, is what they said about him after that game. Um, so, I'm, <laughs> that, I'm, sure they were, I'm sure that teammate of yours was, was real happy about it. Um, so, yep. yeah, moving, moving forward, uh, we look at, you know, now that the Blues are deceased, uh, in terms of this season, uh, you know, this looked like a pretty damn good team that, you know, generated enough offense to kind of keep up with with even Minnesota. Uh, and they didn't have quite the Colorado talent, but they basically have everybody coming back. They have $10 million in cap space. You know, you got to resign David Perron, I guess, because he, he did look good in the playoffs if you want to keep him. He's 34. Can't imagine he'll come too expensive. Uh, and aside from that, uh, that's about it. Right, you resign Ville Husso, uh, perhaps. That's the yeah. Big I was question gonna mark. say it's that's your starting goalie. Big yeah, question mark. I guess so. Um, you know, maybe maybe they'll say you know Jordan Bennington's the guy of the future after he played two good games in the playoffs. That would, <laughs> that would kind of be on brand. Um, but yeah, they have ten million dollars. They can, there's still there's a lot of room to maneuver. Uh, because you won't be spending all that cap space on whoever your starting goalie is, anyways. If you resign Husso, he'll probably be what three million dollars. So, you still got six to work with. Really, I feel like a Ville Husso, which I can't possibly know. But if he wants to chase the money, there's gonna end up maybe being a desperate team that's gonna give him starting goalie money after one good year as a starting goalie. Um, maybe it'll be Buffalo. I actually I feel like I'd thought of this at some point. Ville Husso to Buffalo. You know, they have literally every goalie in their entire organization is a UFA except Uko Pekalukinen. So they would definitely probably be calling every single UFA goalie, begging them to come play for Buffalo. Right. But like, if you're going to invest in a goalie, well, here again, I'm trying to rationalize what the Buffalo Sabres might do as an organization, but (laughs) it doesn't seem wise to kind of invest in Vili Husso. He's like 27. He's fine. You know, he was, he looked good granted, but it's that one season of experience. And I feel like, you know, with the goalie market being as it is this year, there are a whole bunch of good UFAs up. Um, I don't know if like you know we've seen like the even an expensive goalie contract is what around five million dollars six million dollars uh, unless you're really talking about top top of the market like your average starter your above average starter and like I don't know if Huso fits that so I find it hard to see you know him even getting five million dollars that's why I think you know three and a half. If I'm you know Buffalo, a goalieless team who hopes to finally take a few steps forward next year. And I, you know, here's Ville Husso, who if he plays, you know, as well as he did this year, that's a starting goalie, better than we've had in forever. 
for like even if you do have to give him like four and a half million over three years, I feel like that's a that's a decent gamble to make. Sure. I just I don't see the long term sustainability for Buffalo. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you sign him for three years and by the end of that window, what? Your is your team you take a step forward in your rebuild and he's thirty years old and like you're gonna re sign the guy? Like you know what well, I mean? Like, maybe he, no... he's the he's the what's what's the word I'm looking bridge, for? The bridge goalie? The, yeah, the bridge goalie, the whoever you draft this year or something, or for Uko Pekka Lukanen to hopefully get good one day, which clock is ticking on that. He hasn't really progressed very well, but you know, yeah. there will be a goalie of the future in Buffalo that they'll acquire somehow, you imagine. Uh and Billy Huso, I feel like, you know, is a perfectly decent and viable stopgap option. Perhaps. Um, I feel like you can pay less for a bridge goalie for a team that's shit, you know? <laughs> I feel like you can allocate resources okay. elsewhere. <laughs> I feel like organization, that's a wise place to go. You know, like, I don't know, Detroit paying, like, shit all for, like, I don't know, Alex Nedeljkovic and, like, Jonathan Bernier for a bunch of years, you know? Or, like, you know, even L.A., like, clowning around with, like, Jonathan Quick and Cal Peterson or... You know, a whole bunch of other examples of shit teams doing shit all with their goalie position. And it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, the team stinks. You're not trying to get a 27-year-old goalie UFA anyways. You know, it's like, what are they going to do for you? What what team did that? It was the Ottawa Senators. What do they end up with? Fucking Matt Murray for six years at like $6 million. <laughs> I don't think it's the right move um, for a rebuilding team, personally. But, uh, hey, you know Fair. what? It is the Buffalo team. It is the Buffalo Sabres. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. You know, the, uh, thinking about this a little longer, going through teams in my head like, all right, who might want Vili Huso? A lot of teams are coming to mind. I think there's going to be quite the market for Vili Huso. Not just, I mean, you know, it's one thing for a lot of teams to like need a backup goalie, but I feel like this guy especially is very appealing um, because, you know, he comes with the, oh, yeah, I was a good starting goalie like this one year pedigree, and that'll be attractive to teams. But he also comes with a, oh, he doesn't have that much experience, so maybe he'll, you know, take our backup position and be like a really great one-beat sort of thing. And that fits the mold of what a lot of these teams are trying to do. Like, I'm just looking at the list of teams ranked by cap space from, like, most, uh, from least to most. Flyers, they're near the top of the list. Can you think of a better type goalie to compliment Carter Hart than Ville Husso? You know, you want Carter Hart to be the starter, but also... You know, he's has a history of being, being a little bit shaky. You got this Vili Husa guy who was just a starter. That's perfect, you know. Um, the Oilers, they could probably use someone better than Mike Smith moving forward. Toronto's going to be looking for a backup. Washington had two terrible glories this year. St. Louis is going to want to try to keep him. Uh, Georgiev was not great for the Rangers this year. Winnipeg could probably use a better backup. Uh, Dallas is going to need a backup for Ottinger if they don't re-sign Holtby. I just rattled off several teams in a row. The Kings. Kings need a goal. Seattle. You don't think the Kraken are going to be like, hey, yeah, so both our goalies making like $9.5 million combined are both ass. Come join us, Billy Huso. Uh, there, there are a lot of options here, and there are probably going to be a lot of teams calling in. And St. Louis uh, might have to, you know, up the price a little bit if he's really their guy that they want to keep. Yeah, perhaps. I think, you know, but do you see him taking a backup position? Like, is that even realistic for him? Um, like you mentioned, I don't know, like uh, a New York or a Winnipeg or or a Dallas even. Um, you know, where if you they have offer him? the most money, he might. But that's the thing. Do, you, do, those, do those teams want to 
allocate that amount of money given that you know they have that elite goaltender they're already putting i don't know nine ten million dollars into the goalie position or will be soon enough um is you know giving three and a half million dollars to a backup four million dollars the way to go i don't think you really see it that often right so you know maybe the market's there um but i think i think you're right on like the kings i think the goal the teams without a starting goalie are perhaps where he goes because when you talk about you know coming back to st louis he probably has that starters position, you know, available at least, you know, in terms of competition because Bennington just isn't very good despite those two games. Yeah. Um, I'm checking right now to see what other goalies are on the market because that's a big part of the story too. Uh, shortened by goalie, expiry status UFA, update results, sort by save percentage. Um Oh, and then we have, you know, guys like Charlie Lindgren and Louis Domingue at the top when you go by save percentage. But Darcy Kemper, Eric Comrie, Billy Husso, Jack Campbell. Forgot, yeah, he's a UFA too. Keishita Smith, Braden Holtby, uh, blah, blah, blah. Marc-Andre Fleury, Miko Koskinen. Um, so there are like, you know, a couple names here, but it's not like you have an incredibly long list. It's a pretty top-heavy list. And Billy Husso's near the top. And my official final prediction of where is Billy Husso going to go uh, is he's going to sign a six-year, $36 million deal with the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> that's, that's out there. That's out there. He seems like the guy, <laughs> like the same kind of vibe, you know, like a, like does, a car. Arizona would absolutely, absolutely go balls to the wall for really who so. <laughs> for no fucking reason. Um, <laughs> there's no incentive for them to do so. And so that's why they'll do it, uh, is, is the Arizona move. Um, yeah, I think, you know, four, four and a half. I think he'll eventually come back. I think St. Louis has that kind of urgency to bring him back because I don't see how they can trust Bennington at this point. Uh, so I say 4.25. You're right. You're right. I'm like, I'm torn on one hand. I'm like, you can't possibly put your eggs in the Bennington basket. Can you? And on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, they might as well do it. Like they might very well do it. It's, you know, like. They seem to be enamored with a guy because he won them a cup or whatever. So, but he's not very good anymore is the issue. So, you know, we'll see. I well, say 4.25 for four years in St. Louis. The thing, see, the thing with that, where it's not appealing to St. Louis, you're, if your options are either, you know, put your eggs in the Bennington basket and he's your starter for better or for worse, uh, or it'll be your $6 million backup goalie for five more years. And that is... Not very appealing at all. Uh, and, you know, if you bring on Huso and you give him, you know, his market value, say it's around $4 million, then you got, you're spending $10 million on two, you know, hit-and-miss goalies where you never know what you're getting any given night. So, I mean, riding the hot hand with the two of them could probably get you to a quite good regular season result like it did this year. Um, and, you know, they switched back to Biddington right when Huso was bad in the playoffs. Oh, no, was he bad or was he just injured? I don't uh, remember. Huso was bad. Huso was bad. He wasn't injured. Right. He yeah. Huso was bad. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel like if you're doing a, all right, we got a tandem and they're both kind of shaky. We'll ride the hot hand. That one's okay. Bennington Huso. Um, I think though their preference is not to kind of splurge on Huso and maybe go elsewhere in a, a cheaper direction, more of a backup type and hope that Bennington regains form. <laughs> That's what I think they're going to go with. 
Yes, just a hope and prayer that Bennington regains form after two years of being terrible. Um, I mean, I think I think in their minds there was a fluke. Bennington's just like good, and anytime he's bad, it's not real. That's what I think they're imagining. It's possible, you know. I buy that a hundred percent. It feels like half the hockey media buys that. Like, oh, you know, like you know, they believe in the lore of Jordan Bennington for some reason. Um, you know, like one playoff run, fucking three years ago. Okay, calm down. Uh, so. Yeah, but I get that it's a lose-lose. You know, you don't want to invest in Bennington in terms of, like, putting your eggs in that basket. You don't want to spend too much of the goal team position. But at the end of the day, this is a team that wants to win. And so to win, especially in the playoffs, you need good goaltending. That's what we've seen time and time again, exception being Mike Smith. Um, (laughs) And, you know, like, you got to get yourself a good goalie on your fucking roster at the end of the day. And Jordan Bennington is not that. So I don't think they have really a choice. Maybe it's not Billy Huso, but I think you need to put that money in. And, you know, oh shit, we're spending $12 million or $10, $12 million at goaltending. It is what it is. You played yourself by signing Bennington for that long in the first place. But now you got to dig yourself out of that hole. And that digging yourself out of that hole isn't playing Jordan Bennington 60 games a year. So, you know, I think the, the way forward is you have to get a good goalie. And maybe it's Billy Huso. Maybe it's somebody else. But you, I don't think you can cheap out and be like, oh, we hope he's good. Uh You'll screw yourself like that. What I hope we see in St. Louis next year is Jordan Bennington backed up by Miko Koskinen. This is the tandem I want. <laughs> we love bad goaltending tandems. They're always <laughs> so entertaining, um, especially yeah. on a good team, especially on a team of like good skaters. Um, they're just especially like, when the goalies are paid too much. Yeah, that too. Like, no one. No one was having fun with Nico Dawes and John Gillies this year being True. the worst goalies of all time 100%. because, you know, they're both minor leaguers. You got some Bennington Koskin in action, you know, making around, what, $9 million? This is stuff you like to see. Back when Dallas had the Kari Lennon anti Niemi tandem combining for like 9 or $10 million bucks, and they were both like consistently near the bottom of the league in save percentage, and Dallas like won the Western Conference anyway. That was fun. That was really good. That was back when Dallas was fun. Back when, you know, they were calling card was like scoring and, you know, you got Ben and Sagan and all these guys and John Klingberg's like getting Norris votes and the goaltending's awful. That was fun, Dallas. What went wrong? Absolutely. You're right. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, the, the you know, two goalies single head or two handedly dragging a team down <laughs> like the Four, opposite, four-handedly. the opposite of the Jennings trophy. Um, whatever that would be, and it's just <laughs> it makes for good entertainment. The Bennings Trophy. The, <laughs> thank you. The the what you say? What you call it? The the Bennings Trophy, named after Jim Benning. Beautiful, perfect. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the Bennings Trophy out here, and yeah, overpaid, bad goalies tandem, thumbs up, resoundingly. <laughs> yeah, endorsed. Okay. Um. Any predictions for Carolina New York game seven tomorrow? Man, it's tough to call. I mean, we haven't I don't think we've actually mentioned everybody's talked about it, but I don't think we've actually explicitly mentioned with the Hurricanes that whole like home road split that they've been doing. That's crazy. Fucking weird. Um, you know, is that coincidence? I don't think so. I think it's it's probably a matchup thing, right? Like, you know, at home they can like kinda like, you know, send that Jordan stall line on the on whoever the top guns are on the opposition, whether it's the Bruins or the Rangers. Uh, and they can't really do that. But it's just like, it does feel like night and day. Like, they were so controlling in Game 5. They were That's the thing. They were also the better team in Game 6, too. Um, but it just felt like they hit the another level in Game 5. Um, but I can't help but, like, you know, 
get the you know the Shesterkin thing because he was so good in game six, and it's like, can you bet against the guy in like an elimination game kind of vibe, you know? Uh, I'm picking the Hurricanes because of that home away pattern. Yeah, they are six and zero at home and zero and six on the road. I would be inclined to say it's a coincidence if, as you say, the results didn't swing so much in both these series. It feels like there haven't been Carolina hasn't played very many one goal games. That is just off the top of my head, but I remember that kind of being a theme when they played the Bruins. When it was in Carolina, they were winning, you know, by two goals, three goals, four goals. Um, game seven was three to two, I remember. Um, but same thing in New York, though. You know, they're getting maybe blown out as a stretch, but like they lost five to two to New York in game six. And it feels like in all Carolina games this year, or in the playoffs, um, a lot of times someone will get out to an early lead and kind of just hold on to it. And it's weird because that's not how this Carolina team would kind of strike you as playing. Um, I'm not too concerned about this, though, because they could theoretically ride this all the way to a Stanley Cup victory without winning a single game on the road. <laughs> if the Oilers beat the Avalanche in round three, then Carolina will have home ice all the way through. So uh, that would be that would be one for the books if Carolina lost every single road game on their way to a Stanley Cup. Wow. That, <laughs> that would be just really funny. I mean, they have to go seven games in every series, too. They'd have to play the full yep. 28. Um, yeah, I, you know what? I, I don't know. It's I, th- I think it's a coin flip. I, I know I've been picking Carolina throughout. I'll pick the Rangers just because it's Shesterkin, and I feel like, why not? But, you know, I can see Carolina winning. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but moving, looking forward, I think my prediction, regardless of who wins, uh, I feel like the Eastern Conference Final, I feel like it will be underwhelming to watch. That is my early hot take. Um, the Rangers just aren't very good, and so that's a reason why they're not fun to watch. You know, it's just really just like Shesterkin and a bunch of pretty bummy players and like Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad showing up every other game. Uh, and well, oh, that's not fair. They have, they have some really great talent at the top and Panarin and Adam Fox. Don't forget okay. about them. Granted, I'll, I'll, I'll give you Adam Fox cause he's been fantastic, but you know, Panarin hasn't been good this playoffs, this play either, either round. Uh, he's kind of really been quiet and I mean, they've gotten some okay depth scoring, but you know, they, they just get dominated at 5-on-5 five five all the time. It's like, yeah. they're, they're <laughs> against the Penguins, dominated. Against the, the Hurricanes, I would argue, almost every single game, including Game 6. They won 5-2, but it felt like, the you know, the Hurricanes were the better team at 5-on-5, five five, you know? And just, they got goalied. Like they, they had, like, I don't know, like 40 shots or something like that. And I think it was more than that. And there's just, you know, Shesterkin's really good. And I'll give them that. But, you know, it just doesn't feel like they're a very good team at 5-on-5, five five, and I don't think that's fun to watch. And I think the Hurricanes will get shit kicked by the Lightning. Um, that's just my early prediction. So there you have it. Didn't you just predict that the Rangers would win Game Seven? Yes, but I'm saying either way, that uh, Eastern yes. Conference may be underwhelming. Is my uh, that's my guess. Well, if it is Hurricanes Lightning, at least we know it's going seven because they'll always win at home and lose on the road. Uh, anyway, um, Jason Spencer retired today. I was surprised by that one. That was kind of surprising. I have to say, I thought he was going to keep on taking league men with the Maple Leafs until they didn't want to give it to him anymore. But for whatever reason, he got scratched a bit down the stretch, got scratched a few times in the playoffs as well, I think. And apparently it was just so too painful for him. He called it quits. To be fair, 
it was very questionable decision to scratch him in the first place in favor of guys like Wayne Simmons and Kyle Clifford. Um, and he could definitely still hang in the NHL. And I actually think this is bad news for the Leafs because I feel like at league men, he would provide excellent value again. Now they're going to have to find someone else to fill his spot in the roster. And if you want equal, equal production, you're going to have to pay more than that. Yeah. I think when you say, you know, stick it out with the Leafs until they aren't willing to give it to him. I think they weren't willing to give it to him in terms of that ice time or that guaranteed role. Uh, and, you know, they couldn't carve it up for him. You know, you, you see he's getting scratched on the stretch and, you know, not fun for him anymore to just sit in the press box uh, night in, night out. And I understand that. And you're right. Uh, this is like another like veteran who's, you know, not completely washed, who provides great value at, at a, you know, $750,000 on the cap. So, you know, to for it, for them to not kind of carve out that role for him, perhaps questionable, um, get, especially given their cap situation. But, you know, what's done is done. And, you know, they can talk all the praises they want about how he contributed to the culture. And I think the Dubas quote was like, look at look what he did with like taking the veterans minimum has manifested itself in Mark Giordano. And it's like, all right, bunch of teachers, pets. Uh, screw off <laughs> and uh but yeah good for jason spezza now he has that yeah he, he, they immediately announced that he's getting kicked up to the front office so you know all that money he he uh gave up has now manifested itself back in his wallet in the form of a cushy front office job and i guess that's what mark jordan was angling for is what i say oh. all right jason spezza here's some numbers all right some cold hard numbers Career high in points, 92, and 07-08. Career high in goals, 34, which he hit three times exactly 34 in 11-12, and 06-07. Points, total career, 995. He was five points shy of 1,000 in 1,248 games. Um, Hall of Fame, yay or nay? Uh, sure. Why really? not? Yeah, that almost hit the thousand points, and like he was a good vibe in Ottawa. <laughs> At this point, you know, I think I'm done gatekeeping the Hall of Fame. I'm kind of, I'm kind of done with that vibe. I gotta say, you have to keep the gate somewhere. No, you don't, is what I say. Um, or at least it can be pretty, it can be pretty open. So, if we want to give Jason Spezza a Hall of Fame plaque, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't scream my vocal opposition or even whisper any vocal opposition at all. So, okay. you know, I, I understand that this is not, uh, this is not a, uh, you know, perhaps the caliber of many of these Hall of Fame players that we've seen based on precedent, but I'm willing to give it to him anyways, because why not? This, this is a guy who's was the top-line center on a team that went to a Stanley Cup final one time and lost in five games. Um, he was never on a Canadian Olympic team, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he was. I don't think he ever won any major awards. Um, <laughs> sure, because they can put him in the Hall of Fame, see if I care. Uh, <laughs> but Sens fans were having a, a fun time with this one today. Obviously, he's a... He's an Ottawa Senators legend. Um, and I think the NHL, it might have been the NHL official Twitter or one of the official Twitters of the NHL, 
tweeted out a picture uh, from, I think, the Stanley Cup final in 07 or the playoffs or something of Jason Spezza, Daniel Daniel Alfredson, and Danny Heatley standing, you know, their, their backs and their numbers and all that, standing like, probably as a national anthem was being sung. And that line, which they were a line, they were the top line for Ottawa in all their best years, that was a big deal in Ottawa. They had, like, they called them the pizza line, I think, sometimes, because there was some kind of pizza sponsorship where every time uh, that, that line scored five goals in a game, there was, like, members get a free pizza or whatever. They started doing it too often that they boosted it to six goals. That's <laughs> a true story. <laughs> they were that good. They were really good, the three of them together. So much so that the NHL is tweeting about them uh, when the last of them retires, even though he hasn't been on the Ottawa Senators in eight years after getting traded to Dallas. Speaking of which, it is very fun to me that Dallas traded Nick Paul to Ottawa in the Jason Spezza trade, and Ottawa would then trade Nick Paul to Tampa Bay in the same year that Nick Paul single-handedly ended Jason Spezza's career by scoring twice against the Leafs in Game 7 in the 2-1 win. <laughs> That's a nice bit. That's a very nice full-circle moment. Um, there we go. Nick Paul and Jason Spezza forever linked together. Yep. Um, who knows? Maybe he was on the... No, he wasn't. He was scratched. That's right. I was going to say maybe he was on the ice. But no. No, I think he played game box. seven. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That was the whole thing. It was like, oh, good thing he didn't end his career in the press box. That's a good feeling. So, <laughs> you know, he got, a, he got a first row seat to Nick Paul again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. You know, I yes, he doesn't have the international accolades, but he's an icon enough is what I say. So, sure. You can, you can, you have my vote for whatever that counts for, and that means and that's zero. But it's okay. You've got it anyways. All right. Uh, last thing on Spezza, he was traded to Dallas July first, twenty fourteen. Do you do you remember any more details about this trade? No, I remember jack shit. Okay, you don't want to make any guesses before I tell you what it was. <laughs> No, I'm so far beyond lost. Um, Please just serve me this on a silver platter. Yeah, go ahead. Here, here, here's how we'll do it. Ottawa traded Jason Spezza, and was there anything else going to Dallas? I'm going to say yes. Was it a player? No, it was a draft pick. No, it was a player. Ah, It was... uh, a guy named Ludwig Carlson. <laughs> Jason okay. Spezza and right. Ludwig Carlson, who never played in the NHL and doesn't appear to have played since 2017-18 in uh, the, the EIHL. Anyway, that's what went to Dallas. And to Ottawa was uh, Nick Paul, Alex Chason, Alexander Guptill, and a second-round pick. And the second round pick, um, Ottawa ended up using to trade up six spots from number 42 to 36 um, to draft Gabriel Gagne. And meanwhile, the 42nd pick that they received from Dallas that they traded to New Jersey, New Jersey used to select Mackenzie Blackwood. There's a fun fact. Okay. So, uh... Looks like Ottawa didn't get too much out of that one, other than Nick Paul. What, what, what did they trade Nick Paul for? Was it a third-round pick uh, in the trade deadline? No, didn't they get They got more than that. Uh, yeah. Oh, they got Matthew Joseph and a fourth. That's what it was. Oh, okay. All right, so the trade tree continues. 
Um, but uh, of course, underwhelming return. I gotta say. But Wait, I feel like Alexander Guptill was involved in something else after. Oh, I know where I know that name from. Where the twenty, <laughs> the twenty sixteen <laughs> trade deadline. Okay. Ottawa and Buffalo made a seven player trade of, of <laughs> only minor of only minor leaguers. Classic. <laughs> Do you uh-huh. remember this? I remember seeing this trade break. Ottawa <laughs> traded, Ottawa traded Eric Odell, Cole Schneider, Michael Zdow, and Alexander Guptill to Buffalo for Jason Atkinson, Jerome Leduc, and Philip Veroni. Just seven no-namers going one one way to to <laughs> another on the deadline. <laughs> that's wow, a that's, fun, that's an all-timer. That's impressive. That's impressive to come up with a trade to the point where you care enough where you want those players. Um, and there are seven of them, and they're all fucking irrelevant. I respect yep. them. Hats off. Hats off to whoever the general manager. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I wonder why neither it. of your teams have seen any success <laughs> since then. I think, you know, yeah, maybe they've got their heads too far up their ass with minor league players. <laughs> um, yeah. Stop micromanaging. Improve your actual NHL team is what I is what uh, is the moral of the story. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how we got here. But that's uh, the Jason Spezza story. Honestly, I don't remember anything right. about his time in Dallas. Do you? Uh, I remember him being like second line center when he got there, and they like just like finally made the playoffs, and it was like here they go, they're on the up and up, they're going all in getting Jason Spezza. Then they missed the playoffs the next year, and it was the year after that where they really had you know the great year. They finished tops in the West, uh, and they both their goalies sucked, and Spezza was like pretty key. But at some time in the tenure. It was kind of like, all right, you know, they're playing him on the wing now. He's like, you know, no good anymore. He's like on the third line, on the fourth line. And uh, we all thought he was, you know, pretty much cooked by the time we signed in Toronto. And it turned out that uh, maybe he still had a bit of gas left in the tank. Yeah, makes sense. You know, hometown hometown team, fourth line role. There we go. There we have it. So uh, that's, that's the wrap on Jason Spezza. Do you have any final comments on this man's career? Before we probably never talk about him ever again on this podcast. Uh, nope, no more comments. We won't we'll mention Spets again. I'm sure we will. I'm sure when the Leafs go in a slump next year, there's going to be some Steve Simmons article about how it's because Spets is not in the locker room anymore, giving them a speech or whatever. <laughs> there we go. That's probably that and like the Hall of Fame debate are the only two contexts in which I can foresee ever speaking of Jason Spets again. And uh, Honestly, I think that's remarkable. Yeah. I, I said Spezza Hall of Fame kind of tongue-in-cheek because I don't think there's going to be much of a debate. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a bubble. I don't think yeah. he's getting in. You're sorry right. to say. Okay. Rest in um, peace, I, Hall of Fame dreams. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to do a draft of numbers, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the World Championship, the tournament that no one cares about because it ended today uh, with Finland beating Canada 4-3 in overtime in the gold medal game. And you said you saw a little bit. There was an exciting end to the game because Finland was up 3-1. Then Canada scored twice uh, with their goalie Matt Tompkins on the bench because Chris Dreger had gotten injured. Um, and uh, it was Maxime Contois who tied the game. And then Finland won it in overtime on the power play. Um, but the most interesting thing of this game, do you know how Finland scored their second and third goals? No, was it a penalty shot? Yeah, of shot? course you don't. I didn't watch the game. Uh, <laughs> wait, was it was what? Well, I asked if it was a penalty shot. Oh no, it was not a penalty shot. Okay, they were both power play goals. 
Okay. Um, and they were both scored on the same power play. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't remember if it was a double minor or a major or something, but it was one of those where you can score more than one. Sure. Um, and the penalty was a high sticking penalty on Cole Sillinger. Uh, he was in, uh, I think the offensive zone and the official at center ice made the call <laughs> when there was another official five feet away who did not make a call. And the reason the sign. official who was five feet away did not make a call is because Cole Sillinger's stick did not touch Miro Haskinen's face. <laughs> Miro Haskinen's own stick hit his face. And then he went backwards and said, ow. And the official fucking five miles away was like, hi, stick. You're going to the box. Uh, it was a phantom call. It was a terrible call. And it, re- it did cost Canada the game. Um, they had to, you know, really buckle down just to tie it and uh, get back in there. But it was not to be. And the call was so bad. that on TSN, they spent a, a chunk of the intermission talking about how bad the officiating was. And that call specifically, of course. But that's not the only thing because <laughs> there was there was I feel like maybe the ref was like rattled after that because he could not get his mojo back. I don't know if it was the same <laughs> guy, but the second Canada goal, um, there it was under review for if the net had come dislodged because it like popped up and then like came back down, and basically the the official was like a coach's challenge on the play, um. So they review it. They find out, all right, it's a good goal. The goal stands. Finland gets a penalty for making a wrong coach's challenge. But then it's realized after the fact that you're that type of play, you're not allowed to have a coach's challenge. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what ended Come up happening on. was just no penalty. <laughs> and it was so confusing. Um and all, okay, actually, at the initial announcement, the guy was like, Finland is challenging the play. Uh, the call on the ice is a goal. Finland is challenging for no goal or whatever. And then, like, did the no goal signal with his hand. And I was like, what is that? Was it not a goal? I have no idea what's going on. He, like, he waved no goal. And so the crowd in Finland cheers. And then they go to review the play. It's like, what's going on? And then in overtime, Thomas Shabbat gets a hooking penalty. Um, and, at, like, this, like, the call was final. It was a hooking penalty. But as... um the Finnish player was falling. He like grabbed or like tried to grab Shabbat's like ankles and tripped him. And that was uncalled, but whatever, that's kind of a run of the mill, bad call. But the ref goes over to make the call. And he says like, uh, Canada, two minutes for hooking. And then five seconds of silence. And then the commentator's like, he didn't say a number. (laughs) 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 So, so these refs were just having a really bad time today in the gold medal game. (laughs) man that's tough that's just brutal um well you know that's that's refereeing for you at the professional hockey level um but this seems particularly uh this guy made a fool of himself uh from what i hear from what i hear i don't i don't know if it was all the same guy actually but um but uh, hey, if it squad. wasn't then the entire team team was uh, not up for the task today yeah exactly which which is worse is it one guy just having a bad day or did you just hire a bunch of fucking uh, <laughs> clowns um yeah no it's like what happens if that second goal they like they do the challenge they realize it's not a goal like but then they realize it's not a challengeable play do they call it a goal 
I don't know. I think, well, it's not a challengeable play, but it's a reviewable play. So, yeah, like, retroactively, yeah. they were like, oh, that was just a regular review and not a coach's challenge. <laughs> That's some bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Either way, they were going to take a fat L on this one. And, uh, yeah, just not not a good vibe, I got to say. That is that is one blunder after another. Yep. Uh, I'm sure that Team Canada is peeved. Because the IHF is usually, you know, their um, reputation is like, oh, better officiating than the NHL. And honestly, if there were more eyes on this tournament, if this was like, if this was like a World Junior gold medal game, this happened, that reputation would be completely down the toilet after today. Yeah, absolutely. They're pretty lucky because uh, otherwise, you're absolutely right. People will be rightfully ragging on them, and uh, yeah, that might that you know might just be that you know these refs aren't well trained, um, or maybe they they don't have the proper working conditions to perform well, uh, but. Yeah, it seems to be pretty universal nowadays. Like, I think the IIHF rules are better, but it's possible that enforcement is just as bad. Could be. Yeah. I the the IHF though usually historically they do call tighter games and so they end up being cleaner, which is you know what we say would happen all the time. So that is one nice thing. Uh you see a lot fewer, you know, dirty hits and malicious intent in the IHF because of how they call things. Right. And and they also like banned hits to the head like completely, right? So that's definitely mm-hmm. a part of the player safety movement. Um but apparently that didn't stop these refs from uh clowning it up. So uh shout out for for putting on a show. Um much yeah. to the chagrin of Canadians who cared. Um so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there the go. six Canadians who care about this tournament. Yeah, and they were all on the ice. Um <laughs> they were on the team. <laughs> and there are only six of them on that team who care. Yeah. But you know, good for them. Like Josh uh, Anderson, he was there. Yeah, well I'm sure they'll they'll treasure that that silver medal that they won at this world championship. Um maybe they'll try harder next time, I guess. Maybe. Or maybe Yoel Armia scored for Finland too. Ah. Believe it or not. Classic, good shit. Um, so you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll recruit a better goalie next time, so you don't have to rely on Chris Dreger. I think you know what? That's a hunch of mine that that might improve your odds at winning the gold medal. But that's just me. I'm just spitballing here. Mm-hmm. It was Chris Dreger, Matt Tompkins, and I think they usually have three goalies at these tournaments. I'm not sure the other guy. Was. Oh, it might have been Joey Decord. They might have had two Seattle Kraken goalies and a goalie playing in Europe. <laughs> Tough luck. Tough luck. Not going to go far in an international yeah. tournament like that. Um, but Well, they did. They did go pretty far. Go. Seems to, Yeah. But it wasn't this... Uh, I haven't been following closely. But there were a couple close calls, weren't there? Was what I heard. Um, of them getting a little... I don't know. I wasn't paying attention till today. There we go. So, that's the verdict on Canada. Silver medal. Congratulations. I don't even know where this tournament was held. But I hope Someone the amenities were nice. Temporary, I think. Ah, okay. Good stuff. Uh, any any closing thoughts on that on the IIHF World uh, Championships? Nope, none. No closing thoughts for me. To, none on Spetsa. None on the uh, the IIHF. Time to draft some numbers. Let's go. Uh, so yeah, it is draft time, and it's been a it's been a few weeks. I think it's been five or six. And so this week we will be drafting numbers, and uh, more specifically, we'll be drafting integers. From one to hundred, or do we want to include zero? Uh, I'm not sure if we. Yeah, let's include zero. That's an option. Okay. You can take right. zero if you want. Zero to hundred integers only. 
And uh, I think I, I like destroyed you last time around with a clothing. Yeah, you did. So I'll so grant I'll you first. the first overall pick. Yeah, go for it. All right. Um, I have thought not about this at all. My first pick, I'm taking number 24. I like it. It's cool. 24 hours in a day. 2 plus 2 is 4. 2 times 2 is 4. You got the 2 and the 4. Checks all the boxes. Boom. Yikes. Wow. Evidently, you have not thought about it because that's horrendous. Bad vibes. Uh, with I'm going to be taking 100 with my first round pick. Um, <laughs> oh, because that's the, that's the number everybody loves. You're in school, you want to get 100. You want to give 100%. <laughs> it's everything. It's awesome. 100. I think I just killed you. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, well, you didn't, because I'm going to take what's even better than 100, 99, all right? <laughs> I was a better. <laughs> it's my definition, one mark worse. 99 is cool as shit, because when you get 100 on something, you know, it was kind of like a small sample size, probably. Maybe not you, because you always got 100 on things. But for normal people, if you got a 99 on something, it's like, wow, you killed it. When you're looking on IMDB to see how something's rated, if it has a 10, you're like, okay, this thing was rated by like four people who really liked it. If it has a 9.9, you're like, wow, that's pretty excellent. So there, 99. Some, that's some pretty warped logic, I got to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> if something is rated and it has an average of 9.9 after 100 reviews, it is inherently less impressive than if, what if I got 100% on nine, uh, on 50 reviews or whatever number I said earlier? But, well, but when you have 100, that's incredible. it's probably not that many reviews. <laughs> it's like you see 100, you're like, oh, this is small sample size stuff. This is some nonsense, childish shit. But that's the thing. You don't know that. That is, well, no, no, no. no I no, do. The thing is, you do I know that. Infer... Because they, they usually give you the number of total reviews. So you can instantly it's tell. Low. It's always low. Well, because that's how exclusive it is. And if you do find a 5.0 or, sorry, uh, 100%, I don't know why I said 5.0. I'm arguing for a completely different number. My bad. Um, but if I am talking about 100, all right, uh, it's just if, and I have a 50 reviews, it doesn't happen often, but it's sure as shit more impressive than 99. So, you know, I you can have a 990 save percentage and lose the game. And if you have a 1,000 save percentage, you'll never lose. In regulation and overtime. Um, Here's the all thing. right. Yeah. Here's the thing. One one final thing on 99. It rounds up to 100. So your argument is that it rounds up to my number, and that's why your number is better. And mean, meanwhile, your number rounds down to 99. So what do you have to say <laughs> about that? I say nobody rounds to 99. <laughs> um, <laughs> to the nearest round to the nearest 99. <laughs> Sure. Um, also, I forgot to mention, 100 is the only three-digit number that's going to be drafted here. That so, makes it uh, worse. No, it makes it better. It stands out for a bad reason. <laughs> no, it stands out for being excellent. Um, all right. Moving on. Uh, I will be picking... Hmm. Do I want to just stick with the multiples of 10? I feel like that's that's a bit too bland. Um, I'm going to be going with 25. So... You know, it's a quarter, very clean, Ooh. like 24. That's some bullshit. Uh, and it's also a square number. Oh, look at that. I have two square numbers. Each shit. I got 125. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, it's a very pleasant time. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a nice number, very divisible and whatnot. So that's cool. I'm going to go with 75 
and I know you love this number, so don't even try to make any arguments against it. You love 75. <laughs> All right. I remember okay. in high school, you're always talking about how like you love 75, I love 750, I love all these things. I don't even know why, but you were like constantly yapping about how great these those types of numbers were. Maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but you know, I agreed with you. Not, and that's why I'm surprised you didn't take it first, this number, and you left it here for me to take in the third round, all right? Three quarters of a century is three times as good as your one quarter of a century. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Um, I've yet to hear a single coherent argument as to why 75 is good, other than I happen to like it, and I'm not arguing for you, so I don't see it. I don't see it, but uh, congratulations anyways. Yes, you um, do. <laughs> maybe I do, but the, the others sure don't. Um, okay, all right. Next up, I will be going with. Uh, hmm. Should I just keep going with the nice square numbers? It's pretty good. Yeah, sixty-four. Excellent. Sixty-four. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, it's that's gross. right. Um, it's it's a great number. Very divisible. One, two, four, eight, whatever. Also, it's what is it? It's a cube number and it's a square number. And it's the smallest number that has that. So, eat shit yet again. Uh, and um, there we go. There you have it. 64. We love having... It's like a nice... If you get a 64 on something, you just passed and you're like, you're relieved. <laughs> um, if you got a 24, yeah. you're just sad about things. So, there you go. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you know what? If you get a 99 on something, you nailed it. If you get a 25, you're like, wow, I did poorly. So if you, you got a hundred, you literally couldn't get any better than that. So, and if you got a seventy-five, <laughs> that's pretty good too. A lot of the time, sure. Uh, okay, <laughs> my turn to make a pick. Um, well, the thing with numbers is there are so many of them, and there are a lot of good options. The, there are exactly a hundred, to be exact, are, in this range. Yeah, there are hundred and one in this range, actually. Yeah, you're right. Okay, you're wrong. Please. All right. Um. <laughs> Roasted. I'm gonna go with yeah. number thirty-three. Okay. I like number thirty-three because it is almost a third, but not quite. And if you it were a third, that would just be a lot of thirty-threes directly in a row after a decimal point. Um, and it stands out for that reason. It is uh resoundingly unsatisfying for that reason, actually. <laughs> oh no, it stands uh, out for that reason. Where's the decimal? What's that? 33 times 3 is 99? Oh, what? That's terrible? Fuck. That's so unsatisfying. Couldn't get me to that. Hundo. What do you mean unsatisfying? You love 99. 33 99 times terrible. 3 is 99. No, you're like, where's my extra point three on each of those thirds? Give me that extra point three. So, you're wrong on that one. It stands out for being terrible. Moving on, uh, my next pick is going to be zero. Um, because you can. it's great terrible. to have 100% of something. But it's also great to have zero of other things. Um, like, I don't know, whatever it is that's bad. So, you know, oh it's good God. to have zero death <laughs> or <laughs> zero, I don't know, like turds on your lawn kind of vibe. Uh, and meanwhile, if I look at any of your numbers, I am resoundingly <laughs> unsatisfied with that result. And But if I have zero of those negative things... I'm happy. And even if you go and pick one, it's sure as shit worse than having zero of those negative things. So, ha, eat that. Zero. Huge dub. 
I'll be now picking number two. All right. And here's why. There are some things you want exactly two of. No less, no more. You want to wear your two socks and your two shoes Sorry, on your two the feet. Just, the, the audio just cut out. Did you say you're picking two? Oh, yes, I'm picking number two. Oh, was that, was that, are you being sarcastic because you can't believe I'm picking two? No, no, I, I'm not even being sarcastic. Okay. It got, it got choppy. All right. Choppy. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I picked two. Yeah. And my reasoning was there are some things you want exactly two of. No more, no less. You want two two socks and two shoes on your two feet. You want two gloves or two mittens on your two hands. You want two eyes. And when you put in your glasses, you want two little holes. You want two legs and two arms. All right? And I know this is all related to body parts, but I, I, could, I could go on to other things too. Here's one. Please. Uh, you want... <laughs> all right. I'm <laughs> sure. And you want, you want uh, two pillows on your bed. You want since when? <laughs> Myth. Me, I literally Myth. have two pillows on my bed. You want two drumsticks okay. in your hands when you're playing the drums? Because you have two hands. That's intrinsically linked to the fact you mentioned earlier. You can't say that. All right. Well, you also want <laughs> you want two chairs when there are two people in a room. <laughs> And so on. And so on. That's a weak one. That's a weak and so on. Let me, let me keep going one second. I have more to say. Please. Right. I'm yes, surprised know, you do. All right. Yeah. I, I know most of what I was saying is about body parts, but that's, that's okay right. because pe- people are with their bodies all the time. But it's and inherently too, arbitrary. But it means arbitrary. It's it's literally not. It's arbitrary. It's a fact that you know, I got two legs, and I got two pant legs for my two legs. Two's all around. One two peas in a pod, birds of a feather. All right. Here there are two of us on this podcast. That's a great example. We don't know more than two, no less than two. All right. A dynamic duo over here. It's perfect. Pencil and eraser. Uh, what else is the good? Peanut butter and jelly. All right, you say two. birds of a feather. What does that yeah. have to do with it? What are you talking it's like about? T- it's like two birds of a feather, right? Isn't that the saying? We're two birds of a feather. What? Never heard of that one before. Well, everything's better in twos, all right? Everything you got the tandem, the teamwork, all right? Jekyll and Hyde or whatever, the duality, the dichotomy, all these things exist in twos. You know, they'd be better with more. I'm just what are you talking about? Jekyll Hyde and, and Pete? That's what you want? <laughs> yeah, add some nuance. Duality is oh boring. God. I want more. I want multifaceted natures. None of this one-two shit. I get all of that. Terrible. Well, everything everything that's multifaceted, it's based on internal contradictions. It starts with, you know, the primary binary, which I realize now is a contradiction in and of itself that I said primary binary. <laughs> I think you get the idea. There's the main two, and then other more complicated things grow from that. Or it's just the spectrum, and we have multiple on that spectrum, you know? Well, how many ends does a spectrum have? Two. It can be zero if it's a loop, you know? Well, then it's a loop and not a spectrum. Your point is moot. No, what if it's a looped spectrum? Then it's a loop and not a spectrum. I just said that. No, but it's a spectrum. Am no, I making shit up off the top of my head? Yes. 
Yes, you are. Okay. Yes, no. because your shit is also off some nonsense. What are you talking about nonsense? Uh, peanut butter and jelly. That's not two. That's just a yes, sandwich. What are you talking about? Peanut. I'm. It's it's a team of two. You know, dynamic, iconic duo. Penn and Teller, John and Paul, Who's Sam and John Kat. and Paul, from the Beatles. You idiot. Oh. Well, there were four people, no? What are you talking but about? But John and Paul were like they were the songwriting team. Okay, but there were four Beatles. What's yeah, the but point? if if you were a music person, which you only kind of are, you would know that like the Beatles, like John and Paul, were like the heart of the Beatles, and they're like the dynamic songwriting duo that made the engine run. Okay, touche. But sure, I don't know. They're two different people, though. Instead, you're exactly their... two. I drafted number two. <laughs> Shit. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, but there are two people. I lost the plot. I lost the plot. You sure did. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, I may have I run myself into a corner there. I came back. I was really down in the trenches with my initial explanations, but I made a comeback on that one, I think. I should, I should have just left it there after 30 seconds. I don't know why I continue the bit. I play myself. It's okay. I don't I don't, I don't. don't admit defeat. Scratch that from the record. Um, okay. All right. Moving on. My fifth pick will be 10. You know, I got 10, and now I have 100. Sorry, other way around. But either way, um, 10 on 10. 10. 10 fingers, 10 toes. If you want to go the body part route, um, and... I don't know. Other things, you know, 10 is just a very satisfying number. First two-digit number. I got the first two-digit number. I got the first three-digit number. And I got the first integer. So take that. And I'm. it's remarkable that you didn't go for any of them. Instead, you went for like 33. I didn't Ooh. go for them because they're boring. They're bland as shit. And now, to cap off yeah. my amazing numbers draft, I'm going to go with a number whose vibes are impenetrable that will be 92 <laughs> i love number 92 because there's nine which is a big single digit number and there's two which is a small one but it's not the smallest one it's not like 90 or 91 because that's like you what are we doing here it's 92 and uh you know if you have if you have 92 of, of something that's good, then you like that, you know? If you got 92 grapes in the fridge, you're like, I've got so many grapes that I'm going to save a bunch of them for later and spread out my grape consumption. Can't go wrong. That's it? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Oof, is what I say. Um, I don't know. What the hell? What, in what context do you ever see a 92? This one. Other than this one. Well... And good ones only. Can you think of a bad example of the appearance of number 92? Uh, there you have it. Give me you can't. Second. You, can't, you can't do it. It's, you're, not, you're not succeeding. Damn. I googled Evander Kane. Turns out he's a 91. That's yeah, of course he is. <laughs> think I would take Evander Kane's number? Not an idiot. <laughs> Fair enough. Alright. Well, that's wholly unsatisfying. It's like, no. I I don't vibe with it. Um, next up, I will be taking with my last pick, eighty-eight. Um, I Patrick Kane's eight. number, you idiot, you moron, you blew this one. Go on. 
<laughs> Touche. Um, recover from this. You cannot recover from this. Well, you know, maybe the people on the poll won't see that. <laughs> you're not allowed. To, you're not allowed. You're not allowed writing Patrick Kane's eighty-eight yeah. word for word on the poll. I will be mad. I will protest. I, I won't do that. I promise. <laughs> Either way, I needed a double number. I had not realized that was Patrick Kane's number. It did not cross my mind. Uh, and you know, eighty-eight. Everybody loves eight. Who doesn't love two eights? You know, and not because it's two, but because it's more. And I could not have three. <laughs> Let that be clear. Let that be clear. If I could have more, okay. I would. But I would. I can't because I'm constrained by the, the bounds of this one to zero to one hundred. So that's not an say, argument for two. Let me just say, you took four. Four out of the six numbers you took have two digits, and yet you are against the number two somehow. Very curious. <laughs> coincidence i think not um yeah i think well i I personally i think you've got a thing going with a two and it's unhealthy you know like two all your numbers are all two digits like i went as far as you except could go number two except think for number that. two number two is not two digits just but it is ones. two yes exactly so you <laughs> i went basically as far as you can go i hit the 100 which is the only non two or one digit number and i hit zero which is as you know far as you could be from two digit numbers the other way so I committed to the anti-two bit. No, and... you didn't. You could have so easily stayed in the single digits the whole time, but you yeah, chose but who... not to because yeah, you, you love to the two-digit numbers because they no. have two digits in them because you love the number That's two. Incorrect. They are just Admit mathematically it. more prevalent in this range. I am not going to restrict myself to the single digits and one hundred. Um, yeah, just so you I can... can't restrict yourself. You you can't you can't you can't bear not to venture in the territory of two-digit numbers because two is that powerful and strong. All right, I propose we change the bounds of this draft. Let's restart it. But the, the numbers are 100 to 1,000. All right? And no. there's, there's n- <laughs> We're not that doing way. that. Obviously not. <laughs> but just, just that just goes to show the point, you know? It's just the two digits. It's just, have, it's just a matter of coincidence and not the unhealthy See, obsession that you present. Unhealthy. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. We agreed upon the range... That is almost that is mostly two-digit numbers. If we were both so eager to do that and say zero to one hundred is a great range by me, even though most of the numbers are two digits, it must imply, therefore, that we both love number two. No. To Perfect. to want to bathe ourselves in the two-digit numbers. Incorrect. Incorrect. And I will. You want? I just. Yeah, I found the conspiracy. Let's look at each one of your picks so far. All right. You say you're not obsessed with the number two. Let's look at twenty-four. Number two. Uh, sure. 99. There's two twos. 75. Seven minus five is two. 33. There's two twos. Two is just a number two. 92 ends with a number two. Look. It's not good. Uh, All right. All right. Too well, much. say it's for the sake of argument, say I am obsessed with the number two. Okay. I have presented many great reasons for it. Because oh, you did the best number. You said birds sure of a I feather. Did. And then ended the sentence <laughs> there. And I was very confused. Wait, have you have heard people say birds of a feather though? Yeah, right? birds of a feather flock together, but it's not a pair thing. It's just a group thing. Yeah, two birds of a feather. Who said? No, dude. You and don't... I are birds of a feather. I have never looked at two birds and said that's a flock. All right, that's the most. That is generous. It's not. It's not even generous. It's illegal. All right. So okay, fine. So there's a flock of twenty four birds. That's just as birds of a feather to me too. So or twenty five, or a hundred, you know, or eighty eight. You know, hundred's too big. 
99's just right. <laughs> Said no one ever. I've never <laughs> heard that argument. Um, but All right, okay. well, consider this. Why, um, in the National Hockey League, were players allowed to wear numbers up to 99 until, of course, it was retired by Wayne Gretzky, but never up to 100? Wasn't good enough. It was, no, it was too good. It was just it was too good. Too good. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, call up, call Gary Bettman and be like, "Why is it doesn't anywhere wear 100?" He'll say, "It's too good." Ty say, "It's too good." <laughs> yeah. He would say the same thing if I had if I asked him about the number zero too. It's just too good. So, oh wow! So now your your argument is Gary Bettman would agree with you. That's a great look. It's a great look. <laughs> Stop cornering me into bad places, all right? It's not, it's not a good vibe. Um, okay. Well, anyway, um, that's the end of our numbers draft in which I demolished you. Poll will be up later this week. My team, 24, 99, 75, 33, 2, and 92. And Taisei's team is 100, 25, 64, 0, Oh, sorry. I almost fell asleep. The numbers are also boring. Uh, let me restart. 125, 64, 0, 10, and 88. You can't do that. You can't do that. Next time, you got to let me read my numbers if you're going to pull this underhanded last-minute shit. I don't abide by it. <laughs> Boo. Okay. Okay, well, anyway. Thanks for listening to this week's Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Next week, we will be back. Um, probably not on the Sunday, actually, uh, but the Monday, probably. So you can look forward to that. We'll talk conference finals, I'm sure. We'll eulogize either the Rangers or the Hurricanes, probably the Rangers. And yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. The end.